0: You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, for I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will will by no means lose his reward. It's Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. Now, this morning I'm dropping you right in towards like the middle end of Matthew chapter 10. Tim got us started here last week, uh, though we need to skip ahead in the passage just a little bit this morning. This is how Tim summarized it for us. I think he did well at this. Jesus gathers you as helpless sheep and sends you as ready shepherds. Essentially, Jesus takes sinners, that is, Losers in the righteousness department. He takes sinners and he makes them into disciples. And then Timothy, sorry, let me get this straight. Tim Duncan, not Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, right? We're talking Tim Duncan now. Then Timothy ended with Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, where Jesus reminds us of the way the gospel is given. Freely. Freely. Jesus told his disciples that they received without payment. They should, without hesitation, give the good news of the kingdom without expecting something from people first. So how much righteousness does a person need to have before you give them the gospel? Zero. They don't have any, doesn't matter how hard they tried. So. You get without pay and you give without receiving payment for it. That's where we left off last time. This portion of Matthew, actually all of Matthew chapter 10, uh, theologians are very boring people. And so they call this Jesus' mission discourse. Ugh, it's disgusting. It's a weird name. It doesn't make any sense actually. What is Jesus talking about here though in all of Matthew chapter 10? He's talking about The disciples that he has called to himself, that he has proclaimed as his own, and now he's sending them out into the world. And so if we have any questions about who the context of this is for, well, it's for those disciples. And it's also for you this morning as a disciple of Jesus. Now, the portion of Matthew chapter 10 that we're skipping over, uh, it's an important text, and it's one that can be addressed later, but let me just give you a quick rundown. Uh, It is a set of more specific commands given to the disciples that Jesus is sending out into the world, and he's also warning them that they are going to face opposition, uh, both from the world and the forces of darkness. And yet, he tells them that they don't have to fear. Because Jesus has placed us in His kingdom, and we now share a Father who cares for us and watches over our every step. It's actually where that famous phrase about uh, God counting all of the hairs on your head, all right, uh, comes from. But now we come to verse thirty-four, where Jesus tells us more about the kind of opposition that we will face as his disciples. Now we all know the apostles later on, they're going to they're face other kinds of opposition, from the government, from important people. In fact, almost without fail, all of them will be put to death. So they, they know what opposition is. And yet there is a more intimate form of opposition that Jesus is now going to warn his disciples about. And, culturally, maybe this is going to be an easier conversation for some of us than for others. But this is where Jesus, the Prince of Peace, mind you, starts off this morning. Uh, And he makes a very clear statement about his intentions. Do not think that I have come to bring, bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's a pretty bold statement to start off with. What does a sword do? Well, they stab. They hack at things. Other than that, a sword doesn't serve much of a purpose, does it? It can be a symbol of something. right? Of authority, of power, protection. It can be all sorts of things. But Jesus is specifically telling us here that he is bringing a sword to divide. That when he calls you to be a disciple divisions are made. There's a negative way of thinking about this, and then there's going to be some positive ways that I also want to think through this with you. We probably all know what this sounds like, and we'll talk about this again in a moment, but perhaps for you, in your household, or maybe in your extended family, when you were called by Jesus to be a disciple through the preaching of His Word, just automatically puts you at odds with other people that you were once close with. Or maybe it puts you at odds with your own cultural community. Maybe it puts you in a weird place in the, the vocation, the, the calling that you've been given out in the world. Or now the question of, what do I do in my leisure time? Maybe it puts you at odds with the friendships that you have in that area. And so when the gospel comes to you, when Jesus calls you, it divides you from the world. It divides you uh, from those things that you hold dear. One of the early church fathers said it like this, The whole world is becoming divided against itself for the sake of Christ. And that is a necessary conflict um, that has, that, sorry, it is a necessary conflict uh, that we have been sent out to, to break a peace that is evil. (laughs) What he's saying here is that Jesus is looking around at the world and says, you know what, I think you're actually kind of at peace with yourself. I think you're at peace with the evil that's out in the world. And now I'm bringing a sword to break up that peace and to instead bring conflict. You could look at it like this. Um, When you have uh, a cancer or a tumor, or some part of your body that is rebelling against itself, that's actually trying to take the body over, to destroy it. What is peace then? Living with it? Or is the peace, in that case, having that incurable part removed from you? Another church father said it like this, John Chrysostom. Only in this way does the military commander preserve peace by cutting off those in rebellion. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's bringing a sword. And with that sword, he will create peace. It sounds very worldly, if you ask me, right? Uh, let's keep going, though, and see what we have, what the rest of our text has to offer. Because you and I both know that the only kind of real peace that we can experience in this world, um, look, we can have little tastes of peace, that's true. Where we're, frankly, distracted from the way that the world is. But the only real peace we can have is through the righteousness of Christ. That's the kind of peace that Jesus is bringing For I have come to set man against father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is usually when you go to God's word and you say, well, that's not exactly what Jesus means. Uh, What he actually is trying to say. (laughs) Don't, hey, don't do that to people, okay? Usually people say exactly what they mean, for better or for worse, and this is no less true of Jesus. He is saying outright that there will be war amongst those people that you have the most intimate relationships with. So what about households? What about households where there is a spouse that is saved and then a spouse that is unsaved? Does this make for peace in the household? No, that doesn't make for peace in the household. I will say the, the daughter-in-law and mother-in-law bit, let's just say there was a different relationship between daughter-in-laws and mother-in-laws back in that day, okay? Uh but <laughs> it's I'm sorry. It's not easy to see these two parties at war, right? What about in our own families? Perhaps when there's there's children that have not yet accepted the truth of the gospel. And now there's just this this big open gap that stands between us. a a crevice that can't seem to be crossed in communication where you understand that there's just going to be different values and those different values are going to play out in different ways. What about in our culture groups? Here's the truth. When we are called by God's word, when we receive Christ as our Savior, it does put us at odds with whatever culture group that we come from. Because there is now a new way of understanding who your neighbor is. There's now a new way of understanding who the enemy is. There is now a new way of understanding what your purpose is in the world. Before Christ, your purpose was maybe primarily to save yourself and secondarily to save the culture that you come from. Now, you are called to something very different. We see that in Anchored, right? We're actually called to one another. That doesn't mean that we totally have to neglect those people that we have other intimate relationships with. But that does mean that we do not get to favor those cultural practices that have once held us down and told us that this is our purpose for life. No, instead, now we look to Christ who has redefined who your brother and sister is, who's redefined who your father and mother are who has redefined who your children are. We could go on. We could talk about the way that this affects the, the, the workplace that you're in, uh, the way that this affects the way that you spend your leisure time, if you have any of that. But instead... We can carry on that conversation later. I just have a question here about the text, and that is, not worthy? That's pretty strong language, right? What does Jesus mean by, if you're doing any of these things, if you're favoring any of these relationships, more than you are favoring me, you are not worthy. It does seem a bit strong. I don't want to soften it, but maybe we could ask it like this. Where have you, where do you, and where will you place all of your fear, love, and trust? Will you place your fear, love, and trust in our catechism over there? Uh, Fear, love, and trust is kind of the expanded way of talking about Faith. So where will you place your faith? Where will you place your fear, love, and trust? Will it be in your culture group? Will it be in your household? Will it be in your workplace? Will it be in your friend groups and in your leisure time? Or, at the end of the day, will your fear, love, and trust be in Jesus? And this is exactly what Jesus is challenging his disciples towards right now. Where will your fear, love, and trust be? It should be in me. I'm the one that has called you. I'm the one that has set you aside. I'm the one that has picked you up and placed you in my kingdom. Don't run back to the old ways. And this would have been particularly difficult for all of these good little Jewish boys that Jesus is talking to. Uh, this is, I'm going off on a rabbit trail now. David, you probably heard this sermon illustration 30 times, and I'm not going to get it right. But, you know, it's one of these things that's, uh, there was like this poll that was done with different groups of people around the world. And uh, let's just say that it was in America and then in, in America and in the UK. And it was asked, you know, you're going over a waterfall on a boat. Have you heard this one before? Okay. You're going over a waterfall on a boat, and you have your mother your wife and your child in the boat, who are you going to save? And I forget the response, so don't, don't, don't mark my words on this one. But I think most of them said, well, hopefully my wife can swim, I'm going to save my child. Mother doesn't get brought up in the equation. Uh, <laughs> whereas for Asian and Middle Eastern cultures, all of the men that were asked this question said, I'm going to save my mother. Which I love my mother. On the other hand, that sounds crazy to me. Okay, that sounds crazy to me. Um, And this is exactly what Jesus is challenging these disciples with. Saying, where are you going to place your fear, love, and trust? Is it going to be in in your child? In your spouse? In your mother? In your culture group? Jesus is reminding you where that fear, love, and trust should be placed. It's in him. He has called you out he has put his name on you. He has blessed you to be a blessing. Or how Tim said it last week, Jesus gathers you as helpless sheep and sends you as ready shepherds. Does this mean that you have to hate all of those people in all the old ways? No. It does put you on the outside of some of those old ways. On the fringes. Does it mean that you're not at the family gatherings? That you're not at the cultural events? No. Does it mean that you make the church the one and only place that you're ever at? No. Please don't do that. You are scattered, sent out into the world for the good of the gospel, right? St. Augustine said it like this. um, Instead, you should say to your parents, I love you in Christ, not instead of Christ. You will be with me in him, but I will not be with you without him. And so we love people in Christ. We love people because of Christ. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it." All right, what does a cross do? Hmm? It kills. It kills. So don't think, I know that everyone always likes to be a hero, okay? But don't think that when we are called to take up our, Christ, our cross as disciples, that this means that every day you're just going to carry that cross and you're going to be the strongest Christian out there. No, the point of that cross is exactly what the cross did to Jesus, and that is to put you to death. We could say it like this, that we would be unworthy of Christ if we do not take up the cross. It's by that cross, that we must suffer, die, be buried, and then resurrected together with him. Jesus is very much saying to his disciples, you might die. (laughs) That's comforting, isn't it? It is, if your fear, love, and trust is placed in Christ. If your fear, love, and trust is placed on those members of your household or your culture group, well... Not such a comforting word from Jesus. What is this little riddle that Jesus is spinning for us, though? Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a couple ways that we could understand this. Let's take it as straightforward as we can, though. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Uh, That is to say, whoever finds their fear, love, and trust, and all of these other things, you're going to lose it. Whether you die right now or not, death will take you and you will be outside of my kingdom when it comes. Whereas, if you die for my sake, well, then you will find life and you'll find it with me forever. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Now, this is to the disciples right now, okay? But it's also going to be to us. So let's hear exactly what he's saying. Disciples, as you go out, whoever receives you, that is whoever listens to you, who hears the gospel preached, that person is receiving me. They're entering in to my kingdom. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Father right now, right? So basically, Jesus is saying, these people have faith if they receive you. There's so much that I could say about this, but let's talk about us as disciples, just real quick. You are meant to be a preacher. You are meant to share the good news with those people around you. And yes... That might be awkward, and yes, that does not always go smoothly. In fact, it is offensive. It can be hurtful. It can put up a dividing wall between you and someone else. Jesus already told you that that was going to happen. On the other hand, if you... uh, If that person receives you, if they hear the words that you're preaching, they are also receiving Jesus. They are receiving our triune God and the eternal life that he has to give to them. Another note that we could make on this is kind of a warning, and that is for you, Anchored, to receive the right preachers. Okay? (laughs) Uh, I'm not just talking about TV preachers, although there is that. I'm not just talking about street preachers, although there is that. I'm also talking about music that we listen to, all the things out there in the world that are competing for our attention and for our hearts each and every day. Jesus is also asking the question here, if someone that you go to doesn't receive me, what are they receiving? What are they receiving? The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, would receive a prophet's reward. This is a very strange part of the text, but we're going to work through it. Are you still with me? Hey, what's the reward of a prophet? What's the reward of a preacher? Blessings, finances, health. Usually, death. That's the reward of the prophet. Anytime a prophet makes it to Jerusalem, what happens to that prophet? That prophet dies. That's going to be true for Jesus too, right? That was true for John the Baptist. It's true for Jesus as well. It's true for each of the apostles as they go out and preach the good news. So what is a prophet's reward? Death. Death. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. So when someone goes out and hears you and believes, you know what's going to happen? They're going to become a preacher right along with you. And you know what? Because they received you, they might also just receive the prophet's reward right along with you. Death. If not death, then definitely being cut by the sword. And separated from people. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, mind you, Jesus has redefined what righteousness is here. But we should still ask the question is this a negative comment that Jesus is making? Is he talking about righteousness according to the law? Or is he talking about righteousness? according to the gospel. If it's righteousness according to the law, well then that person, um, that person then gets to die uh, with a nice little cozy blanket of righteousness that they have knit for themselves. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I think he's talking about the positive righteousness. He's talking about the righteousness that he has placed on his disciples who have trusted and believed in him. Jesus is not placing us back under the law here. He's reminding us of the reward that is ours. We're not talking about crowns. We're not talking about anything funny. We're talking about the simple reward that is not something that we see or even experience in full in this life. He is talking about forever with God in His presence. God's people in God's place experiencing the fullness of His blessings. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. (sighs) Jesus keeps throwing me for loops this morning. Um, This is another one of these things that we could take in a couple of different ways. Uh, here's the direction that I want to leave us with, that I want to leave us going in this morning. Um, Jesus is saying that you could get a reward like a little child who gets to drink, uh, who gets a nice drink of cool water. That is a reward. <laughs> hey, here's the deal. Uh, do you make children work for the drink of water? Huh? Uh, Hey, do you guys remember, uh, some of you will, some of you won't, uh, we used to have an after school program here, and I loved the after school program, it was always sad to me that we couldn't continue with it, but here's what happened. One day, I'm sitting at my house, I'm working outside in the garden, and I hear these four boys walk up, causing a bunch of noise, and they ask me if they can have a drink of water. And I say, yeah, sure, and I turn around, and who is it? It's the kids from the after-school program. Now, I'm a curmudgeon. I'm a cranky person. I never wanted those boys to know where I live, because you know what? They're going to be wanting to drink water all the time, and they did, and they did. But am I going to say, oh, sorry, guys, got to turn you away? No, you don't turn away a kid from getting a cool drink of water. Do you make a child work for it? Is it good behavior that gets you the drink of water? No. You give freely because, of course, you want to see a child happy and hydrated. If even a little child is going to get a drink of water, then my preachers, even in the face of death and being disunited from their most intimate relationships, will not lose their reward. The reward that they have been given is not of this life, but it is experienced in full with God for eternity. So what is Jesus talking about here with this water? I think very simply what Jesus is trying to get across to us is that, uh, actually where Tim left us last week. You've received without pay, give, give, without expecting something in return. You give the water to a child because why shouldn't you? (laughs) You go out and you give that gospel knowing that you do not lose what it is that Christ has promised to give to you. What is the reward that Christ is giving here? What is the, the prize Well, that prize for you and for me, Anchored Baptist Church, is the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternity with Him. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.